0: This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7.
1: Rock the red!
0: The only sports talk show in Washington dedicated to talking Washington Capitals hockey. Hear from the players, the coaches, local and national media personalities, and call us with your questions and comments toll free at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5. Radio
2: 24-7. Here's your
0: host of Caps Talk, Ben Raby.
2: All right, welcome into another edition of Caps Talk, a Thursday afternoon edition of the show, and a game day edition of the show. As we gave you said, for the Capitals and the New Jersey Devils, it's the Capitals' first game back after the five-day buy, and the Capitals hardly being eased back into things this week. As they begin a busy stretch tonight, three games in the next four days. It all starts tonight in New Jersey. And the quick turnaround tomorrow, back at home, taking on the Montreal Canadiens. And then Sunday afternoon, a 12:30 30 face-off at Capital One Arena as the Capitals take on the Philadelphia Flyers. So you add it up, it's three games in four days for the Capitals. And again, it all starts tonight at the Prudential Center in Newark, with the Capitals taking on the New Jersey Devils, the top two teams in the Metropolitan Division entering play this evening. As we welcome you back inside the D.C. studios, it is Ben Raby back with you, John Walton, Ken Sabrin in New Jersey for the call of tonight's game, and I'll be joining them at 645 Eastern for the official start of Caps pregame on 106.7 The Fan and 1500 AM in D.C. You can also hear the call of tonight's game right here on Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app. All right, so it's been a while since we last spoke. It's been a while since the Capitals were last on the ice. They haven't played since last Friday. but man, oh, man, did the Capitals enter their bye week in style with a come-from-behind win against the Carolina Hurricanes. As we remind you, the Caps and Hurricanes were playing a home-and-home series late last week. Hurricanes took the opener, 3-1, here in D.C. last Thursday. And then they had the quick turnaround, same two teams meeting last Friday at PNC Arena in Raleigh, where the Capitals trailed 3-2 to two late in the third period, but Brett Connolly would tie it up with just over three minutes remaining in regulation. His 10th goal of the season tied the game at three, and that set the stage for a dramatic finish. Tied at three in the final minute of regulation. Capitals had a defensive zone faceoff. Barry Trotz sending out Jay Beagle to take the draw. Nick Backstrom, Alex Ovechkin on the ice as well. Beagle won the defensive zone faceoff, and seconds later, the Capitals went up the ice in transition, where Jay Beagle would eventually net in the nick of time the game-winning goal and away with
1: Carlson up the left side Ovechkin five seconds left he may get one more chance and a puck tipped away by Falk a shot in front Beagle at the heart it's in it's in he scores he scores Jay Beagle has scored a tip across the goal line with Five seconds left are you kidding me Jay Beagle with a half second left on a shot from Backstrom Tips it home, and it's 4-3, Washington. Oh, baby, what a
3: goal. Uh, Pressure was on, obviously, 20 seconds left. I I live for those draws. I mean, that's what I've always liked to take when there's, you know, those pressure situations on those draws in our zone. And uh, just tried to win that second one. We kind of had a set play. Um... You know just to at least get it out of the zone and then um you know and then always coming down that left side and i know i know i just obviously gotta just crash the net as hard as i can And it kind of gets interrupted there but backing makes unreal play across the crease
1: they have put another 0.8 seconds up for a total of 1.3 but Jay Beagle is the hero. The Caps have won the draw. And that's it. Good morning. Good afternoon. And good night, Carolina. Beagle mania in the Tar Heel State. A last second goal. Washington wins it in regulation. Oh, my goodness. 4-3 over Carolina
3: yeah no it was it was big I mean going into the break you don't want to go in on a loss obviously and um you know it was a hard-fought game and it was a good game um it kind of had almost a playoff atmosphere especially in the first just seeing each other back to back you know it kind of gets that uh you know that little bit of hatred and a little bit of rivalry going so um it was good it was a good game and uh it's good to get the win going into the break
2: Post-game thoughts right there from Jay Beagle last Friday after he broke a personal 15-game goalless round, and he did so in style, netting the eventual game-winning goal with just over a second remaining in regulation. So, yes, the Capitals, they went into the break in style. They've won six of their last seven games overall since the Christmas break. Capitals with a 6-1-1 record. They've matched their season high at 14 games above NHL 500. A record of 28-14-3, 59 points on the year as the Capitals enter play this evening. Sole possession of top spot in the Metropolitan Division, five points up on second place New Jersey, six points clear of the third place Columbus Blue Jackets. Yes, a lot of positives from the Capitals coming out of the bye week, but there's always a but. Head coach Barry Trotz is not looking too far ahead. Still a lot of work left to be done for the Capitals during the second half of the season.
4: We've got lots of work to do. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. And our goaltending groupies made some good saves. Holtz has been really good. Um, we have a lot of work uh, ahead of us. I think uh, af- after the break, we'll, there'll be uh, a few areas that we need to clean up if we're going to be able to do anything. The second half here is going to get ramped up, and uh, you're going to be survival of the fittest, really, because there's some really good teams, and whoever can can survive the next. You know, 35, 40 games. That you're gonna, you're gonna be in, and if you don't, you're out.
2: And again, the Metropolitan Division very congested entering play tonight. We referenced the Capitals with a five-point lead over the second-place New Jersey Devils, but then the gap between second place and eighth place—it's not much of one. Six points separating seven teams from second place New Jersey all the, all the way to the basement of the Metropolitan Division, just six points separating those seven teams. So really very little separation just past the midway point of the year in the Metropolitan Division. So we've got the Caps and Devils tonight, Capitals 2-0 against New Jersey so far this season. Tonight's matchup is the third of four meetings this year between the Caps and Devils. They'll also meet one final time at Capital One Arena in the regular season finale for both teams. That coming up in a couple of months on April 7th. New Jersey tonight. They are playing their third game since returning from their bye week, and the Devils also coming off a divisional win of their own Tuesday night at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn.
1: Finally, their first win since December 27th as they down the New York Islanders by a score of 4-1. to one. No goal scored in the third, but the Devils scored three in the second to break open a 1-1 game, and they go on to their 23rd win of the season.
2: Matt Lachlan had the final call Tuesday night on the New Jersey Devils radio network. 25 saves for Keith Kincaid in the New Jersey win. And the Devils backup, Keith Kincaid, will get the start again tonight for New Jersey. Corey Schneider will suit up for this one, but he has been battling the flu this week. So Keith Kincaid will start for the second straight game for New Jersey. As for the Capitals, Braden Holtby coming off the bye week. He will get the nod this evening against the New Jersey Devils, Braden Holtby, 24-9 and on the season. And also, if you recall last week, selected to represent the Capitals at the NHL All-Star Game later this month in Tampa Bay. As for the 12 forwards and six defensemen for the Capitals, a familiar look is what you would have seen in the final game going into the bye week against Carolina last Friday. That means for the third straight game, Andre Burakovsky will not be in the Capitals lineup tonight. Burakovsky, you may recall, missed the final two games before the bye week because of illness, and now coming out of the bye week, he will sit as the extra forward, the 13th forward, the healthy scratch among the forward groups, if you will. And head coach Barry Trotz, we're going to hear from him in just a moment. He explained the reasoning behind sitting Burakovsky once again tonight just had to do with the fact that it's been a while since... He was on his skates because of the illness. He hasn't practiced. He hasn't skated because of the bye week and didn't want to rush him into action tonight against New Jersey. Keeping in mind, I haven't even mentioned this yet, the Capitals were scheduled to practice yesterday in New Jersey. The way it works after the bye week is you meet as a team in the afternoon on the final day of your bye, in other words. So the Capitals met yesterday afternoon. They took their charter flight to New Jersey But that plane, because of the weather, etc., travel issues, everything was delayed, and as a result, the late afternoon practice they had scheduled for in Newark uh, had to be canceled. So no practice yesterday. So this is a little unorthodox for the Capitals, not only coming off the five-day bye week coming into play tonight, but without the benefit of even a full practice. They held their morning skate today. They tried to intensify things. They held a scrimmage this morning, which is really rare on a game day, but Barry Trotz trying to... Pull out all the stops here as the Capitals uh, try to get their legs back under them after the five-day breather for the bye week. And that was among the topics he addressed earlier today. John Walton leading off the pregame scrum media availability with the head coach, talking about that unorthodox setup today, trying to get the legs back under them after the five-day breather.
1: A little bit of a scrimmage to get the guys going out there, it looked like.
4: Well, yeah, we obviously, uh, I'm, I'm taking an approach that we're rested, not rusty. And yeah. Uh, You know, obviously yesterday got all muddled up with uh, uh, travel and all that. So, um, you know, we have to try to accomplish a little bit of, you know, guys getting used to, you know, getting the lungs fired up and all those type of things. So um, it is what it is. We adjust and uh, we're rested, not rusty.
5: You guys were saying that it's more mental than physical, that being in shape, you're not going to lose it in four or five days. With that in mind, what what can you do to help put them in a better position to succeed?
4: Well, we, we tried to do that with practice a little bit. You know, uh, you, you know, you, even when you take a couple of days off, uh, you know, when you're not out there against, you know, another five other uh, opponents or whatever. So we did a little couple-minute scrimmage just to get used to, you know, looking through, through people, uh, executing under a little bit of pressure, that type of thing. So... Um, you know, Usually uh, what happens is you, you lose a little bit of your, your hands and, and, and your lungs. Short, they, they shut down a little bit on you, so you need something to, to get them going a little bit. So we did a little bit of that, and we just changed our whole, our, for the most part, pretty well all of our, our morning uh, game day skate, uh, adding some elements that we would have probably used to yesterday.
3: What went into the decisions for the lines this
4: morning with Andre sort of rotating in, but not? Well, Andre, it, it was, there was no decision. He's he got was sick and missed a, a few days right before the break, and so he's been on break for quite a while now. So to give him a, the best chance to, to be successful, we'll get him a good skate today. I expect him to go in tomorrow for for someone, and and let's get him rolling in the right direction. He was going to be in in the Carolina games. He got sick, and uh, you know, so now he's been you know a week plus without being on the ice so i just give them the best chance to uh, get back after having a little bit of the flu so
0: after the game in carolina the other night you talked about the pk and how it needs to step up a little bit Uh, when you look at ways to kind of get it going is it personnel is it scheme other things it's
4: it's probably a little bit of both i think we have a, a fairly good scheme but you know like anything you if one you know one person executes the scheme and three other guys don't then or vice versa, then you're, you know, you're, you're not there. So, um, we need a little more commitment on that level. Uh, our special teams. I expect both our special teams. I expect our power play to be in the the top third of the league. I expect our our penalty kill to to be in the top third of the league. So we're not we're not there on both both areas. So we just need to um, ramp it up a little bit here. We got lots uh, lots of games left, and uh, they're very capable, and we've got the personnel to do it. So. What is it about Verona's game that makes you believe that he'll be a star in this league? Well, I don't know if he—being uh, uh, this—when you add the word star, uh, I think he's capable of it uh, because he's got exceptional speed. He uh, has ability to uh, to score, uh, which is the hardest thing to do in this, this league. Um, I think he's got enough uh, ability in small spaces. And— uh, he just got. He has to keep growing, and it's going to be growing in the areas of consistency and using his assets. His assets are, are are speed and ability to break away from people. So, if he's doing that with and without the puck, uh, he's going to without the puck. He's going to put people under tremendous amount of pressure. He's going to create turnovers, and that's going to add offense to him. Uh, with the puck, he's going to be able to challenge people uh, with his speed. He, uh, obviously, playing with a guy like Kuzi, Kuzi can put it in the space for him. Um, and he's got a great release, and he can he can play that give and go game in those small spaces as well. So, you um, add that all up, he's got the all the all the tools to be able to do that. Now it's doing it consistently in this league. Uh, being a star in this league, people don't realize when you throw that that out there uh, that this guy or that guy's going to be a star. The thing that separates. I think the, the, the top players and star players in this league is they do it consistently. The stars are able to produce against the very best every, almost every night. And they do it not only for one year, they do it for multiple years. And that, to me, is what star a star in the league does. And they have to fight for their space night in and night out. Uh, Ovi's not getting the worst defenseman on the New Jersey Devils tonight. He's getting their best. Uh, and he gets that every night. So... Um, to produce against the, the very best every night, uh, it, that, that's the star quality, and that's what's demanded when you when you put that label on.
6: Yeah, with so much change,
1: has this team found an identity off of last year? So now that's in the past.
4: Yeah, I, I don't I don't think uh, we've got pa- a past last year. I think uh, obviously with uh, the, all the change that we've had, um, this this group and every every group does every year. You get one or two changes. There's a little bit of a Identity shift, but we've had multiple and, and, a, and a big change about a third, a third of our roster in some, some areas. That um, it did take a, a while. Like uh, as media, you'll ask, you know, how long does it take? Well, every group's different. It might come in ten games. It might come in twenty. It might come in thirty. It might come in forty. It might never come. Um, but you have to you have to stay diligent. I think the the group uh, has found what works for them. And uh, as, co- as coaches, I think we we allowed them to find what works for them. And then we've uh, you know, we've added our systematic stuff and um, we've got good leadership. It starts there. It starts in the room when you got good accountability in the room and you got people that are care about each other. Then you, you've got a chance to to create a new identity. And I, I think some guys have stepped up and have done that in a leadership group. And some guys who we weren't sure what we had have stepped up and we found a comfortable place for them to to have success i think we've had good accountability and and uh you know we've got good competition i mean you know especially at the forward position you know we feel comfortable with our 13 forwards and there's there's internal competition obviously there's there's some guys that are probably not too worried about the competition because they're the, people, they're the ones that people come to to see, but the, the rest of the group are, you know, I'll uh, you know, say the, the, the bottom half of your, your group for the most part, they're in competition for ice time. They're in competition for their own um, place on the team and their own role.
2: And there they were, some of the pregame thoughts. Capitals head coach Barry Trotz earlier today following the camp's morning skate at Prudential Center as they look ahead to tonight's matchup against the New Jersey Devils. Again, the Capitals entering play five points clear of New Jersey for top spot in the Metropolitan Division. All right, a busy show upcoming. When we come back, we are going to head inside the Capitals dressing room. We'll get the pregame thoughts from Brayden Holpe as he gets set to make the start against New Jersey. Brayden Holpe, a long track record of success against the New Jersey Devils. We'll fill you in on the details on that in just a moment. We'll also hear from Jay Beagle, T.J. Oshi coming up as well. Also in hour number one, we will head to Philadelphia. We'll chat with our old friend Chuck Gormley. As it is a big night in Philadelphia as we'll go around the NHL, the Flyers playing host to the Toronto Maple Leafs on a night when the Philadelphia Flyers will raise the jersey number 88 to the rafters at Wells Fargo Center in honor of the Hall of Famer, Eric Lindros. We'll do that a whole lot more. Busy game day edition of Camps Talk. Continues in a moment, Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app.
0: This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7.
1: Three seconds left, the Devils in their zone. Brian Boyle ties it up, and that's it. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, New Jersey. The Washington Capitals move into 2018 in first place in the Metropolitan Division. They down the Devils.
2: Final score, five to two. That's how it sounded the last time the Capitals and Devils got together in late December, December 30th at Capital One Arena. And that night, the Capitals moved into sole possession of top spot in the Metropolitan Division, a perch in the Metropolitan Division they have held on to ever since as the Capitals creating a little bit of breathing room atop the division. Again, they enter play this evening. Now five points up on the Devils for top spot, six points clear. Of the third place Columbus Blue Jackets, it's been going very well for the Capitals of late against 6-1-1 and since the Christmas break. New Jersey Devils, after their very hot start to the regular season, coming back down to earth just a little bit. They recently had a six-game winless skid, an 0-3-3 stretch they finally snapped out of on Tuesday night with a 4-1 win against the New York Islanders. So all that being said, Caps and Devils tonight at Prudential Center in Newark. Capitals' first game since last Friday as they are returning from the bye week. The Devils looking to make it two straight in the win column. As we welcome you back inside the DC studios, it is Ben Raby back with you. Our number one of this game day edition of Caps Talk, Caps Radio 24-7, and the Caps mobile app. Brayden Holpe, Keith Kincaid, your goaltending matchup tonight and earlier today, Following the Capitals' morning skate, which included a scrimmage today in Newark. A little intense morning skate. Mike Vogel chatting one-on-one inside the dressing room with Braden Holpe.
5: i having a practice yesterday afternoon. How does that change uh, tonight? And what are the things that you guys as a group can do to sort of lessen the effects of, of, of what those four or five days might be?
7: Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's not ideal, but it's a uh, situation is what it is. So it's a, uh, I thought we had a really good pregame skate, um, you know, worked hard, harder than we usually would just to get, uh, try and get the rust out. And I think the guys were, were feeling it, uh, towards the end and, um, you know, it helps having that experience of that New York game after, after Christmas break, um, you know, that day was, was about as hard as it could be. And, um, you know, we still lost, but it was, uh, uh, I thought we played, uh, um, you know, consistent I don't think there was much of a, a drop-off from how we were playing before so um, using that experience hopefully we can uh, um,
5: be even better tonight talked a lot about the Devils rebounding this season and, and being a little bit of a surprise team in the league you guys have seen them twice and, and you beat them pretty good twice but listening to them talk after both games that they seem to be uh, a little bit upset with themselves that they haven't shown you guys their their best game yet I'm guessing tonight you'll, you'll see that
7: um, yeah, I mean, we're, uh, we're expecting a good team. We know they're a good team. Um, uh, I think they'll make some adjustments, obviously, from the last two times we played them. Um, but I don't know. I thought we... Uh, it was probably has less to do with them than, than us uh, um, the last two games. I thought that's... Uh, we, we executed and we played the way we wanted to. Um, probably two of our best games all year. So um, we know it's going to be a challenge tonight, obviously, coming off, coming off the break. Um, you know, they've been playing... Um, so it's uh, uh, you know, it's on us to make sure we're mentally
5: focused to uh, um, give ourselves the best chance of win, to win. How much of a difference does Beegs' goal with a second left or whatever in Carolina change the last four or five days? Just mentally.
7: It's obviously, it's obviously
5: big. Um,
7: you know, Beegs's goal. Uh, I thought it gave us a, you know, a lot of energy. Uh, probably going to the break with a, um, you know positive attitude and really looking forward to get back um, you know and I think uh, you know even bigger was Connell's goal that game I think if we lose two in regulation there it's uh, uh, we have a lot to think about over the break so um, you know those two two plays I think uh, uh, even just looking around the room today we have uh, you know a lot of energy we're, we're all excited to be back
2: And there they are, some of the pregame thoughts. Brayden Holpe chatting earlier today with Mike Vogel. We reference Holpe's career mark against the New Jersey Devils. Very impressive. Holpe entering play tonight. Lifetime against New Jersey. 14-3-2 record. Four shutouts. A 1.83 goals against average. And a 9.30 save percentage. Real quick, Holpe's 14 wins against New Jersey. Tied for his most against any other franchise in the NHL. He also has 14 lifetime wins Against the Boston Bruins and Holpe's four shutouts against New Jersey are also a personal best when it comes to opposition. So looking forward to more of the same tonight from Brayden Holpe as the Capitals get set to face New Jersey. Heard him referencing the game-winning goal last Friday in Carolina from Jay Beagle, just with over a second remaining in regulation. Jay Beagle also chanting earlier today inside the Capitals dressing room with Mike Vogel
5: few of these breaks even earlier this season um, although they're not all like this where you're you're not able to practice or anything does coming out of the Christmas break uh, and playing as well as you guys did in New York with some adverse circumstances does that help you guys uh, maybe come out of this one tonight
3: yeah I mean you know I think you know a, a break is obviously good with how the schedule is um, you know um, It was good to get out there and, you know, we did a couple different drills and and a scrimmage, uh, you know, towards the end just to kind of get your, I think it's your mind. It's more of your mind than anything. I think, um, you know, uh, your body, I mean, you're in shape. (laughs) <laughs> it's four days. Isn't going to make that much of a difference, uh, especially because guys do a little bit of stuff, you know, towards the end of the break, anyways, just to make sure they feel good that first day on the ice. So, um, yeah, we just got to take from you know
5: all the previous experiences and and make sure we come at these guys because it's a big game tonight. You, you mentioned it's it's all in your mind or most of it's in your mind. What do you what can you guys do as a group to to sort of alleviate or lessen uh, the effects? That...
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, keeping the game simple. You know, it's. Uh, if you try uh, too much early um you know especially coming off a break you get yourself in trouble especially um you know it, it just makes the game easier even when you're when you don't you know when you're not coming off a break if you're you know turning pucks over trying things in the neutral zone kind of trying to do a little too much one-on-one i think you know it, it just slows the game down and all of a sudden they start to feel fast you know at any time so it's just you know obviously big to to make sure that we keep it simple tonight and and play a hard uh, game and um, make sure we're getting pucks behind their d
2: and some of the pregame thoughts right there from jay beagle again a familiar look tonight to the capitals fourth line as beagle will be back between chandler stevenson and alex chase on we can tell you the entire capitals forward trios the same as what we would have seen last friday in carolina so a top line once again Of Backstrom centering Ovechkin and Devontae Smith-Pelly. Alex Ovechkin entering play tonight, a league-high 28 goals on the year. He is also two assists shy of 500 for his NHL career. Ovechkin a chance to become just the fourth active player with both 500 career goals. And 500 career assists. Also, tonight on the Capitals' second line, Evgeny Kuznetsov back between Jacob Varana and Tom Wilson, a trio that has done very well over the last few games. Your third line this evening again sees Lars Eller riding a four game goal scoring streak, the longest of his NHL career. He'll be back centering that third line between Brett Connolly and TJ Oshin. We referenced the fourth line, Beagle. Between Stevenson and Chason, you add it all up. Andre Burakovsky, the odd man out, he will sit tonight as a healthy scratch. Barry Trotz, though, we heard him earlier in the program, suggesting uh, he will find a way to get Andre Burakovsky back in the lineup tomorrow against the Montreal Canadiens. We referenced the third line of Eller, Connolly, and Oshie. We're going to talk about that trio when Capstock returns in a moment. We are going to hear from TJ Oshie plus my post-game chat last Friday with Ken Sabrin, looking back at the five-four or the four-three win against the Carolina Hurricanes, highlighted by some impressive play from the Capitals' bottom six. We'll do that when Caps Talk returns in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps Mobile app.
0: Your afternoon commute just got a whole lot better. This is Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24-7. Talking capitals with you while you drop your gloves in traffic.
1: A face-off win is a good start. A head from Niskanen and a pass ahead intended for Oshie. And now the puck in front, they score! the puck came to the high slot, he turns, he fires, and gets it by Cam Ward. 3-0, to go. Brett Connolly has tied this game at three here in Raleigh.
2: That's how it sounded last Friday. Brett Connolly just over three minutes remaining in regulation, tying things up at three against the Hurricanes, setting the stage for the dramatic finish. Jay Beagle's eventual game-winning goal, With just over one second remaining in regulation as the Capitals rallied, they erase a late 3-2 deficit, and they escape PNC Arena with two points in the bank as they headed into the bye week in style, and now the five days off are behind them. Capitals getting set to uh, now get back on the ice. They'll take on the New Jersey Devils tonight. Again, the start of a busy stretch for the Capitals. Three games in the next four days, as we welcome you back inside the DC studios, Ben Raby back with you this game day edition of capstock getting set for the Capitals and devils. And speaking of that third line, Connolly, Eller and TJ Oshie, we referenced last segment, Lars Eller playing some of his best hockey, not only of the season, but of his tenure with the Washington Capitals, including last year, he has scored goals in four straight games. He's up to nine tallies overall on the season. Impressive stuff. From the Tiger in Lars Eller and Connolly again hitting double digits up to 10 goals on the season. TJ Oshie has been struggling to find the back of the net, just one goal in his last 17, but he's been contributing, fitting in nicely on that third line with Eller and Connolly. That trio will remain intact tonight. And worth noting, the Brett Connolly goal officially was unassisted, but should be noted, TJ Oshie was using the wheels, was hustling on the play. He forced Carolina defenseman Noah Hannafin into the costly turnover that found its way to Brett Connolly's stick, who then beat Cam Ward to tie the game. So no assist on the play for TJ Oshie, but certainly his hustle forcing the Hurricanes' turnover, which led to the eventual game-tying goal. And the play of the Capitals' third line among the talking points following the win in Raleigh when I had my post-game chat with Ken Sabrin.
8: Yeah, no, they're playing well, and I, I think they're probably in the most consistent line they have right now, uh, game in, game out. And you look at T.J. Oshie, you know, he's, he's not putting the puck in the back of the net, but he's playing well. He's getting some opportunities, making things happen, getting back to the old T.J. Oshie um, and uh, Brett Conley. You know, he's in the right spot at the right time. He finds a way to get in that, uh, you know, that area that the puck finds him. He's got a quick release, and he's been putting the puck in the back of the net. So that's good, and you can't say enough about Lars, though. I mean, he's playing a hard game. He's hard to play against, doesn't give the puck up, uh, drawing penalties, making things happen, scoring goals. He's doing it all right now, and his confidence is through the roof. And uh, when you have a ton of confidence in this game, there's amazing what you can do, and, uh, and it's great. If the Capitals have that third line, the top three lines going like that, and you can put the puck in them net any time, and you throw Jay Beagle on the fourth line, too. Uh, it's going to be tough to play against every
2: night. And Brett Connolly's goal is 10th of the year. It was unassisted after the Noah Hannafin turnover, but worth noting, TJ Oshie was hounding him pretty good, talking about Hannafin essentially forcing him into that costly turnover in his own zone. At the other end of the spectrum, from the third liners to the top guy and Alex Ovechkin, a goal and an assist tonight for Ovechkin, his league-leading 28th. He had a number of really good feeds as well to Devontae Smith-Pelly, to DSP driving to the net, sort of at the tip of the crease. Ovi found him a couple of times, just unable to convert from in close. But another big game from Ovechkin heading into the bye week here.
8: Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, he was jumping out there. He was leading like, he, you know, he has been all year, uh, you know, beating guys, uh, looking for some shots. He had a nice couple nice passes, you said. And, you know, smith Pelley. that's two or three in the last couple of games. Uh, that, you know, backdoor stuff, you just can't put him in. But, you know, he's getting the opportunities, and they will we'll start going for him. But, yeah, no, he's playing great. Uh, I like the way he is. He's engaged all the time, Ovechkin, doing what he has to do, and uh, that's what leaders do. And uh, he's, you know, he can see his game has changed from the beginning of the year, uh, and it's, he's continued to go. And uh, this break will help him. Hopefully everybody get a little rested up and they come back and continue where they left off.
2: That said, Ken, the way the standings are right now, Capitals, Hurricanes, without looking too far ahead, this could potentially be a playoff matchup if the Hurricanes are able to maintain their strong play and get in potentially as a wildcard team in the playoffs. And what I'm getting at is they've met now three times in the last 11 days. Capitals won one game in overtime last week. They needed a late comeback. They win tonight essentially at the buzzer thanks to a late third-period comeback. Hurricanes played them very tough last night. This is a Hurricanes team which can give the Capitals a hard time. What is it about Carolina that you're seeing that uh, has given the Capitals uh, three challenging games here in 11 days? Well,
8: I think they're a very disciplined hockey club, well-coached. You can see what the, you know, the way they go. They play all guys. I think uh, they have a couple lines. I think that stall line is playing outstanding right now with Ajo. Uh, They're getting it done. But you look at uh, the way they play. I mean, they just keep coming at you. They keep coming at you. They they make very few blatant mistakes. They don't give you anything easy, make you work for everything. Uh, And they're getting some good goaltending, too, which is great. Cam Ward and you had Darling last night who plays pretty good. You hadn't been playing a whole lot up to them. But they find a way to get it done. And, I mean, they're, they're a dangerous team just because they're deep and they're fast. You know they can scoot, and uh, if you give them opportunities, they'll take advantage of that neutral zone turnover, turn it into an odd man rush, and make things happen. So they got some game breakers, and it's uh, it's going to be you know right down to the wire. If they do end up playing them, it'll be a fun playoff series.
2: Man, that description you gave when you talk about the speed and the depth and tough to play against. Sounds a whole lot like the Vegas Golden Knights and also a team that doesn't necessarily have that, you know, bonafide superstar number one line. That's like, you know, three or four second lines that Carolina has, not unlike Vegas.
8: Yeah, exactly. You know, you look at Vegas and uh, it's pretty much the same way. And uh, it's tough. I mean, you're, you're talking about a team that uh, is playing with a ton of confidence now, too. You know, Carolina, the, you know, if their goal they can hold up, you know, they get this darling back on, you know, he had a good game against us, get him back up. And Ward, so these guys are very good. They're well coached, and I think they play with a ton of confidence, too. They have a good mixture, uh, just like the Capitals do, you young guys with some veteran guys, and I think Williams coming over there, you know, uh, he's play. he played outstanding this weekend or these last two nights. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he adds a lot of leadership to that club, and he's going to be a big part of it if they make the playoffs.
2: And those are some of the thoughts from Ken in My post-game chat with Ken on the Capitals radio network last Friday after the Capitals win against the Carolina Hurricanes. The Hurricanes would actually follow that up with a home loss last Sunday against the Calgary Flames, and they have been off ever since enjoying themselves. I'm assuming they're enjoying themselves on their bye week. But the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, again, they have, been, uh, they have played the Capitals very tough in their three meetings so far this month, and the Hurricanes at the moment – Three points back of a wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. The standings right now, as far as the wild cards are concerned, the Rangers and Pittsburgh Penguins each with 51 points. New York Islanders just one back with 50 points on the campaign. And then the Hurricanes and Philadelphia Flyers, 48 points each, otherwise known as three points. Off the pace. All right. Began my chat with Ken Hurtis talking about the play of the third line for the Capitals. Eller Connolly and T.J. Oshie. And T.J. Oshie speaking earlier today inside the Capitals dressing room with Mike Vogel looking ahead to tonight's matchup against New Jersey.
5: Jay, obviously you guys uh, coming off your bye week here. uh, Had a practice scheduled yesterday for whatever reasons that fell through. uh, What are the challenges for you guys tonight coming coming out of a five-day break with uh, no practice facing a team that's uh, up and at 'em already.
9: Um, well, we had a pretty hard practice this morning, so it'll be to uh, recover today from from practice and get ready tonight. We stamped the puck, we, we skated for a while, so the rust should all be off uh, for the most part, and um, should be ready to go. Can you guys go
5: to school on the uh, Christmas break at all? Where you had similar uh, circumstances, albeit on a shorter break.
9: Uh, maybe a little bit. I think it's 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 mostly going to come down to to our mental decisions. Um, I uh, yeah, everyone's in, in good enough shape to where I don't think that's going to be the issue. The issue's going to be maybe overhandling the puck or, or uh, creating problems that, that don't need to be created by by moving the puck to guys that aren't open and things like that. So uh, we'll look to keep it simple early, and, uh, and we should be okay. You
5: spent the last several games skating on a line with Lars Eller and... And uh, Brett Connolly, you guys came up with a big tying goal there in the last game uh, before the break. How, how has that line um, been different from, from the, the other two lines that, that you've skated on earlier in the season?
9: Um, just different personnel, different tendencies. Um, I think Lars does a really good job in the middle of the ice of, of getting open and, and giving our D an option to, to break the puck out through the middle. And with that, it opens up a lot of different options. Cono is obviously a very good skater. He's got a great shot. Um, and he plays on his offside like like O does, where he can kind of open up when he doesn't see stuff and gives him a little extra time. So um, it's been working out really well for us. We, we've been skating well together. Um, I think five goals, I think, um, out of those two, or out of Lars, I think, just in the last four games. So um, it's been going well. We'll look to improve on tonight. Hopefully the break doesn't uh, doesn't lock up eating that chemistry, but it uh, still feels good this morning, so we'll see. Well, and, and the, the last game you guys played
5: before the break, you guys cobbled together a pretty important tying goal there with three and change left. And to me, I mean, there's it's an unassisted goal, but to me, that that's you should be getting a primary assist on that even without touching the puck. What's the mentality when you're going back there and, and you're trying to force a guy into a, a mistake and, and you're able to do it and turns out to mean the game?
9: I like to look at little situations like that, like little four checks or, or little one on one battles in the corner is, is it, that's really what it is. It's me versus another guy. And uh, I think when you look at it like that it gives you a little more fire and a little more energy to try to win whatever however small the battle is. Um, a lot of those add up to being uh, make for some good play. So um, it was a it was a four check. It was pretty easy for me to, to kinda just take my angle and, and try to and run him out of room, but um, I was I was moved my feet and, and tried to uh, try to create him to do something that he didn't want to do, and, and that's, I think, kind of what happened there. Um, I was able to get a hand on him and, and kind of give him a little shove, and I think got him off balance enough to, to make that play in the middle, and then obviously Kano, um, great job putting in the net. But when um, you're not scoring very much, you've got you to help out other end of the ice, and, and, uh, and that's been going well for me.
2: And there they were, some of the pregame thoughts. TJ Oshie chatting earlier today with Mike Vogel inside the Caps dressing room following their morning skate, looking ahead to tonight's game against the New Jersey Devils. When Caps Talk returns, we're going to go around the league a little bit. The Capitals and New Jersey Devils, one of 10 games in the NHL tonight. Pretty big one in Philadelphia as the Flyers take on the Toronto Maple Leafs. A whole lot of pomp and circumstance pregame style surrounding that one as they will retire the jersey number 88 of Eric Lindros. At the Wells Fargo Center, he'll become the sixth player in Philadelphia Flyers franchise history to have his jersey number retired. We will head to South Philadelphia next. We will chat with our old colleague in these parts, Chuck Gormley. You can now see him on NHL Network, a correspondent as well for ESPN.com. We'll chat with Chuck about the Flyers who come to town on Sunday and tonight's pregame festivities for Eric Lindros when Caps Talk continues in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app.
0: Finally finally, 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 a sports talk show in Washington completely dedicated to hockey. You're welcome.
1: Rock the rim!
0: This is Caps Talk.
3: Caps Radio 24-7,
0: baby. All Capitals, all the time. Call the show at 1-855-GO-CAPS-5 right now or reach us on Twitter at Capitals Radio.
3: They cleared the zone and here's
1: Lindros. one with the clear. Lindros, the shot, it's The hat trick and some breathing room It's 4-2-5.
9: Uh, really excited. Like, the moment that Paul called and Homer called and, and uh, expressed his plans, uh, just a, a deep feeling of uh, uh, just being honored. You know, just I, I feel honored that uh, to be part of it. Uh, the, the names that are up there in the rafters right now are incredible names, and to uh, you know after tomorrow, it's uh, uh, extremely special. So, yeah, extremely happy and, and uh, looking forward to it.
1: To the point, for and shooting one! have won the game in overtime four
2: to three there was a doc emmerich call in there there they were the highlights from the hall of famer eric lindros from his days with the philadelphia flyers also heard an audio cut in there from eric lindros as he looks ahead to what should be a special night tonight in south philadelphia as Eric Lindros will see his number 88 raise to the rafters at the Wells Fargo Center as Lindros becomes the sixth player in Philadelphia Flyers franchise history to have his number retired. As we welcome you back inside the DC studios, Ben Raby back with you this game day edition of Capstock, getting you set for the Capitals and the New Jersey Devils, but we're going to spend some time right now. going to go around the league a little bit, specifically to Philadelphia, where we say hello To our good friend who will be in attendance tonight covering the game, the Flyers and Maple Leafs, Chuck Gormley. How are you, Chuck? I'm great, Ben. How are you? Doing well. Good to have you on the show, and good to have you on the show here for good reason with Eric Lindros having his jersey number retired in Philadelphia. Uh, First off, uh, I know you're heading to the rink right now, and Eric's going to be speaking to the media within the next hour, but uh, could you set the scene a little bit, paint the picture of what you anticipate Tonight in Philadelphia, a long time coming. He last played for the Flyers. It got to go back 18 years, but this is a long time coming for Eric Lindros at Long Last to have that jersey number 88 retired.
6: You're right; it is a long time coming. In fact, if you had told me 10 years ago, 15 years ago that this would happen, I'd probably say it'll never happen. So a lot of um, bruises have have healed over the years. And I think Eric going into the hockey hall of fame has a lot to do with him getting his number retired tonight. But, yeah, the, the scene will be pretty incredible. Uh, he has his whole family here. They've been here all week. I'm told that the puck drop which was supposed to be at about 7.05, 7.07. It might not go until 8. So I think they have quite a bit in store. I'm sure we'll see John McClare, Michael Renberg, Eric Desjardins, uh, many players that he played with uh, went on to have great careers. So should be a special night um, and, honestly, a, a, an unpredicted night. It's, it's something uh, back when he left Philadelphia, I would have never thought this would happen. So a lot has happened since then, and like I said, a lot of healing.
2: Yeah, And without going into detail here, the background is it was an ugly divorce between Eric Lindros and the Philadelphia Flyers in the early 2000s. What about the fan base, Chuck? Were they clamoring for this over the past few years when he left Philadelphia, when he was traded to the New York Rangers, going back again 17, 18 years ago? How was he, I guess, received in the years following that? Is this something the fan base was hoping for, was looking forward, or were they maybe in the organization's corner where they were keeping a distance from the old superstar?
6: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the fans always loved Eric Lindros, and despite all of the animosity between Lindros and Bob Clark, I think the fans appreciated what he could do on the ice, and that never changed. So I think the fans have been wanting this night for a long time, and I think the team, you know, and you probably know this, Ben, the Flyers have have uh, glorified their past, for a long, long time, and it has been a long, long time since they won the Stanley Cup. And I think fans who never even saw Bernie Peratt and Bobby Clark play wanted to turn that page and wanted to start honoring their more recent past, Mm -hmm. and Eric Lindros obviously uh, exhibits and exemplifies that, that past, that recent past. So the fans that will be there tonight will be the fans that saw him play for those eight uh, pretty dominant years
2: in Philadelphia. And you have an interesting perspective on it as well. 25 years ago this season, a young Eric Lindros with a whole lot of hype making his NHL debut after sitting out a year. He held out after he was drafted by the Quebec Nordiques. And, man, oh, man, this 18-, 19-year-old, you know, he was a man already at that age, just a physical specimen. But uh, you saw up close his first year in the NHL and and the journey he took to to him at the NHL level.
6: Uh, he was so dominant, you know, and I remember back when he came to Philadelphia, there was controversy just in arriving because the Quebec Nordiques thought they had made two trades in one day, and they actually hoped that he would go to the New York Rangers. And if you look at that deal that the Rangers put together, John Van Biesbrook, Tony Amante, Doug White, Alexei Kovalev, a couple picks and cash. The Flyers, the Flyers put together Steve Duchesne, Kerry Huffman, Mike Ricci, Ron Hextall, Peter Forsberg, our old friend Chris Simon, a couple picks and 15 million. So if you look back at those trades, uh, it's an, there's actually an interesting, uh, take on this. It's called the Eric Lindros Trade Tree and you could go through that and pick every player that the Quebec Nordiques and Colorado Avalanche picked up because of that Eric Lindros trade and the players they got from those. Let right. me let me tell you this list. This is incredible to me. When you look at what Eric Lindros gave the Colorado Avalanche and Quebec Nordiques, Patrick Waugh, he, he came for Jocelyn Tipo, Ron Sutter, Adam Deadmarsh, Alex Tangay, Keith Jones, Wendell Clark, Rob Blake, you, Theo Fleury, Chris Gratton, Ray Bork, and Dave Anderchuk. Is
2: that is that amazing? That's awesome. I never heard that. And I understand what you're saying, Chuck. You get these pieces in the original trade from Philadelphia, and then they become other pieces. They trade them for other guys, and you get draft picks along the way, and you deal those. That's awesome. I never heard that. I, I did not realize all of those didn't come directly from that trade, but certainly uh, the, the connection. I hear you. That's awesome. <laughs>
6: Well, it's funny because when that trade took place, I remember Rod Brindamore saying to me, "Who do we have left?" <laughs> <laughs> because you know the Flyers were really a thin team uh, after acquiring Lindros, and for three or four years they were really bad. I mean, it was it was tough to sell. Well, they were selling tickets, but uh, Bob Clark was in trouble, and he he eventually got fired. Russ Barwell took over, and things just didn't go well for the Flyers in the first few years with Eric. And then when they made that big trade to acquire Eric Desjardins and John McClare for Mark Recchi, yep. that's when the Legion of Doom became the thing, and, and that's when the Flyers really took off. And, of course, they built a new arena, and I think Eric had a lot to do with that. The Wells Fargo Center today was built, uh, I think, three or four years into Eric's career, and... They
2: sure filled that building, and they have ever since. Won the MVP in the lockout-shortened 94-95 campaign, reached the Stanley Cup Finals in 97, eventually swept against the Detroit Red Wings. What I wonder, too, about Eric Lindros, Chuck, and and he would have been, I imagine, a, a superstar almost in any era. Again, just so big and physical. But I look at another guy who played in that era, sort of a similar career in that it was cut short a little bit by injuries, and Pavel Bure, the Russian Rocket, And I think to myself, Pavel Burry, if he played like in this era with the speed and and the finesse of today's game, you could only imagine what Pavel Burry would do today. And what I'm getting at is Eric Lindros, I feel like was well suited for what the game was in that era, the, you know, the quote unquote dead puck era, but he was a big boy. It was a little bit of a slower game at the time. And I wonder your thoughts on how he would have done today because... You don't see too many players like him these days.
6: No, you're right. That's a good point because I think Eric changed the game in ways because of the way he played. You saw teams drafting defensemen that were 6'5", 6'6". And before Eric, I don't think there was a whole lot of that going on. And you're right, the game back then became a cycle game. And the Flyers kind of identified that and made other teams change to play the same way. and. When you when you saw that Legion of Doom playing the way they were best with Michael Renberg and John McLaren and Eric Lindros cycling and cycling and cycling and they were just punishing defensemen that just, they couldn't get out of their way and they dominated so much during that era that you saw other teams drafting guys that could that could contain them and you're right I I wonder how Eric would fare in this game I think. He really, he really will be down in history as a, an underrated passer. I think a lot of people didn't realize just how good he could move the puck, and uh, he, I saw him just hold off a defender and, and make a nice play with a, a pass that a lot of people never gave him credit for. He, he piled up a lot of assists in his career as well as goals. So um, I think he would, I think he would do well in this era, much like Mario Lemieux. I think could have been dominant in any era, and and Gretzky as well. But that's a good point. You're right, you know, today's game, boy, he'd
2: be scoring 60 goals a season probably easily. Yeah, that, that was my thought. So final thing here, Chuck, we'll leave you with this. Uh, you look at the end of his career, and certainly it takes a hit after he gets that hit from Scott Stevens in Game 7 of what, the 2000 Eastern Conference Final, his career never the same after that. But in retrospect now, 17, 18 years later, when you take a step back, it had a lot to do with, I guess you could almost say, the concussion awareness that is such a big storyline in the NHL these days. He was maybe a little bit ahead back then. The Philadelphia Flyers at the time were still old school in the mentality. They wanted him to play through a lot of injuries. He wanted nothing to do with that, and it eventually led to the ugly separation, but perhaps a little bit of ahead of his time in terms of wanting to, to make sure that uh, between the years was taken care of. Yeah, you're
6: right, Ben. That was a time when... Concussions were kind of a quiet, dirty secret in the NHL. Everyone had them, but no one admitted to having them. I remember Bob Clark saying to me, I've never had a headache in my life. And, you know, it's just there there was um, an an ignorance among NHL general managers, um, and maybe to an extent the players just didn't want to lose their jobs. I mean, Brett Lindros, Eric's younger brother, retired at a very young age because of concussions. And I remember Eric saying to me, because he's a fourth-line guy, you know what, like he he didn't want to tell anyone because he would lose his job and someone else could take it. So uh, Eric, you know, I'll I'll tell you a quick story about that last game that he played in a Flyers uniform. The Flyers allowed him to come back in game six of that series, and I sat next to Bob Clark in the Meadowlands Arena. And Bob Clark rooted so hard for Eric to do well Lindros scored a goal in that game, the only goal. The Flyers lose 2-1 to in that game, and then they come back the next day or two days later and play in Philadelphia. And before that game, Brian Boucher told me that on their way onto the ice, John McClare said to Eric Lindros "Hey, keep your head up. Stevens is going to be better for you tonight. And I guess it was a couple shifts later he was on the ice uh, at the hands of Scott Stevens. So, uh, so it was a fine ending to his career in Philadelphia, but like you said, he has dedicated his post playing career to having more of awareness uh, in, 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 I guess, amateur athletes so that this doesn't happen to as many athletes as it did back in the 80s and 90s. And I and think we're it. seeing that. I think we're seeing so much more control uh, at every level so that... Players are taken out of games almost immediately, not just in the NHL, but in the NFL and in every sport, soccer, uh, rugby, you name it. Young kids are, are recognizing the symptoms, and they're not playing through these concussions like they did 15, 20 years ago, and that's a great thing.
2: Certainly part of the legacy, and what you can say was uh, at times a complicated career. For Eric Lindros, but one that will deservedly be celebrated tonight in Philadelphia is jersey number 88, raised to the rafters. Enjoy it tonight, Chuck, and appreciate you coming on. Generous with the time here. Thank you.
6: Thanks, Ben. Always
2: a pleasure. All right, there he is, Chuck Gormley. You can see him on NHL Network, also a correspondent with ESPN.com, our old colleague in these parts back in his original roots in Philadelphia. All right, when we come back, We are going to go back in time a little bit. 60 years ago tonight, Willie O'Ree breaking the NHL's color barrier. First black player in NHL history. Willie O'Ree suiting up for the Boston Bruins January 18th, 1958. We'll hear from former Capitals winger Mike Marson, the second black player in NHL history. Chatted with him a few months ago. We'll hear that conversation. And looking back on some of the challenges playing in the National Hockey League, as a minority back in the day. We'll do that when Caps Talk continues in a moment. Caps Radio 24-7 in the Caps mobile app.
0: It's your team. It's your show. Caps Talk. By the fans. For the fans. Rock the rabbit. Monday through Friday, 4 to 6 Eastern, on Washington's home for Caps Hockey. Caps yeah, yeah. Radio, 24 7. Here's Ben Raby.
2: All right, welcome back inside the DC Studios, game day edition of Caps Talk. Getting you said for the Capitals and the New Jersey Devils. Capitals beginning the night, five points clear in New Jersey, top spot in the Metropolitan Division. Capitals' first game since last Friday, first action. Since returning from the five-day breather, that is the NHL bye week. But the Capitals hardly being eased back into things. A busy stretch beginning tonight. They'll play three games in the next four days. Tonight in New Jersey. Tomorrow, the quick turnaround. Back home at Capital One Arena as they take on the struggling Montreal Canadiens. And then Sunday afternoon, also at Capital One Arena, Philadelphia Flyers coming to town A metropolitan division matchup so again a busy stretch for the caps and it all starts this evening at prudential center in newark all right we teased it before the break today a big day in nhl history 60 years ago today january 18th 1958 if you prefer willie oree called up by the boston bruins from the minor leagues and in the process he became The first black player in NHL history broke the NHL's color barrier just shy of 11 years after Jackie Robinson did the same in Major League Baseball with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Willie O'Ree, his career in the NHL was brief. I put this in air quotes. It lasted only 45 games, but his impact decades later still felt around the National Hockey League. And Willie O'Ree was honored last night at TD Garden in Boston pregame ceremonies before the Bruins took on the Montreal Canadiens. Willie O'Ree in attendance at TD Garden, and he spoke to the NBC Sports Network on being honored for the 60th anniversary of his breaking the NHL's color barrier.
3: So happy to be joined by Willie O'Ree. Willie, what do you remember about the day going back 60 years ago tomorrow when you broke the color
2: barrier and entered the National Hockey League?
5: Well, I remember it just like it was yesterday. Um, the Bruins uh, the Bruins called uh, the Quebec Aces and said, we want O'Ree to meet uh, the Bruins in Montreal to play two games, uh, Saturday night in Montreal and Sunday in Boston. I took the train up, uh, met the Bruins, uh, sat down with Mill Schmidt and uh, General Manager Lynn Patrick and they said Willie we brought you up we think you can add a little something to the team just go out and uh, play your game and uh, the organization is behind you 100 percent. How were your teammates? Great. Very supportive. Yeah. Johnny Busick and uh, all the guys were very supportive and looked after me on the road and uh, I have the highest admiration and respect for the, the entire Bruin organization. As does
8: the NHL for you. Thank you and congratulations, Willie. Thank you so much.
2: Willie O'Ree chatting last night on the NBC Sports Network with Keith Jones as he was honored at TD Garden ahead of the Bruins Montreal Canadiens matchup. So, Willie O'Ree again 60 years ago today broke into the NHL. He played two games. He referenced it. It was a weekend series against Montreal. He played two games during that 57 58 campaign. Then he went back to the minor leagues where he really spent most of his professional hockey playing career. He had a 43-game cameo appearance with the Boston Bruins during the 1960-61 season, but then it would be 14 years before another black player reached the NHL, and it was with the Washington Capitals Mike Marson from Scarborough, Ontario, was the Capitals' second-ever draft pick, their second-round pick ahead of their expansion season, and Mike Marson would spend five years in the National Hockey League, and it was a challenge for Mike Marson in the mid-to-late 1970s, navigating through the National Hockey League as a visible minority. And in working on my book project last year, 100 Things Capitals Fans Should Know and Die had a chance to Chat with Mike Marson, looking back at his playing career, some of the challenges he faced, and some of the challenges that expansion 1974-75 Washington Capitals team dealt with during their inaugural season.
10: Well, Ben, I remember uh, I had been brought down early. We had um, a clinic we ran at in Largo at the Capitol Center. And I remember the, the, my awareness of everything being so brand new. Um, the arena hadn't quite been finished, but it was, you know, it was worthy enough to, uh, to put down ice and, and we ran a clinic and whatnot. And as I mentioned, and, um, you know, it was, there was a, feel, a feeling of excitement. Everybody was, uh, you know, looking for, uh, looking forward to a great, uh, campaign and, and a team that could be a winner. Um, and, uh, it was very exciting.
2: What was it like for yourself and, and Greg Jolly as well in terms of guys who, you know, there were guys on the team who were older, had come via the expansion draft, but you and Greg, I uh, imagine you had, you know, high expectations, you were high draft picks, and to go to an expansion team, which which obviously had its growing pains in those early years, that had to have been tough, I imagine, but you tell me what that was like for, for both yourself and Greg, given the the high draft status and the successful sort of junior careers you were coming off of.
10: Uh, I was 18 years of age when Washington, when the Capitals drafted me as their first second round pick uh, in the history of the franchise. And uh, certainly uh, there was a a different kind of expectation, I think, from me. Uh, But uh, at that stage, you know, most athletes when they're 18 are really about 15. Uh, So I certainly had a lot of maturing to do uh, in a very quick period of time. And um, it was interesting that uh, we had, I remember some of the senior players, um, guys like Jack Eagers, um, who had been uh, renowned as, as national hockey leaguers um, with other teams, Ronnie Lowe, uh, Michelle Bellemere. uh Later on, we had Ace Bailey come in. Um, but the thing is that at that time, it was it was difficult for an expansion team to go up against a franchise like say the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Beliefs, because they had a kind of depth that, uh, that a new franchise uh, wouldn't have for a number of years. So we, we did our best. And, um, as far as the young guys go, uh, there's a certain amount of, of seasoning you need to have to play against men. It's different than playing against, you know, your contemporaries at 17 or 18 and, um, you know, it was it was strange going in against the the uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, who had just won their first Stanley Cup, and to be uh you know to be an eighteen eighteen nineteen year old, and having to take some kind of a leadership role. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was it was pretty pretty scary at times. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's Mike Marson, an original member of the Washington Capitals 1974-75 roster, joining us. And, Mike, you, you touch on the challenges when you went up against some of the the more established franchises, the big boys, if you will, of the NHL. Two teams in particular, the Montreal Canadiens, Philadelphia Flyers, took a long time for the Capitals to earn wins against both of those franchises. What do you recall about um, some of the challenges and, and difficulties in going up against those teams in particular?
10: Well, I think we did very well at home. I think we, we put on a good show. I think we were very competitive. Uh, but in those days, they started with the early mind, uh, which which I found to be very interesting. You know, you'd go into into Philly, and they had uh, those uh, the, the strobe lights that go round and round. I think they were the first team, if I recall, in the National Hockey League to have that kind of setup. So you really felt like you were being led into something that was going to become a big problem, and you had to be spot on and and to the point with whatever you were doing uh they functioned philadelphia functioned like a machine uh and as well montreal did uh the all the older all the older franchise had that type of capability uh i remember going into into montreal and my one of the first assignments i had was a guy named yvonne cornway who of course is is uh, historically renowned as a as an the old, road runner yeah the road runner and i remember, i was in those days considered to be quite quick on my feet so I was supposed to try to contain this this gentleman, and I remember we went into the Montreal end, and the play developed not like it does now, how they have the cycling down low and and whatnot, but it, it was more like a, almost like a military excursion. And he turned, and I stayed with him, and we hit the blue line, and and then he picked it up. So I stayed with him, and then when we hit the far blue line, he went laterally as fast as he was going forward, and I was just like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, you got to show me how to do that one. And, you know, these are the types of things you were up against when you were dealing with all the old pros. Uh, they just had tricks up their sleeve that you couldn't even imagine, you know. Um, but it was interesting, and, and some of it was uh, certainly a, a lot of fun.
2: And And one final thing, as far as those challenges and those teams in Philadelphia and Montreal, two teams which clearly at that time were were built differently. You mentioned Montreal, sort of like that, that, that military style coming out of the zone and the speed that they played with versus Philadelphia, which, you know, with the Broad Street yeah. Bullies, etc. And and from what yeah. I understand, I, I forget if it was Ron or it maybe it had been Bernie Wolf, who I spoke to recently as well, that they mentioned you you were among the guys, Mike, who, you know, had to, had to represent the team, sometimes had to stick up for the team going into the spectrum.
10: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was, you know, my... I, I'm in the process of working out a book deal myself right now, Ben. but my process was uh, very interesting because it had many levels, just as, uh, say, a team like Montreal would have so many levels. How many left wingers would they have in the organization you know that were capable of playing on other teams? Uh, and, and you know, all the big six, uh, the old-fashioned big six, they all have that type of depth. Well, in that same vein of thought, uh, uh, for me, it was it was not just that I was uh, uh, a an eighteen just turned nineteen year old kid playing hockey, but I was I was the only kid in the world who was black and playing at that time, and uh, with all the different social uh, ramifications and setups and whatnot that were going on in America at that time, it was completely unheard of. You know, uh, for me, it was a, it was a daily issue of things that were almost like. Um, mind-blowing you know we there were times where we were refused or i was refused <clears throat> uh, lodging in hotels and the team would have to stick up for me or you know entering into a, an arena like say uh, madison square garden and you know being questioned by security staff because they there were no black hockey players mm-hmm. so you know to their credit <laughs> they were asking the right questions only to find out that yes i was you know i was playing for washington and for me, Ben, this was a daily thing. You go to pre-board an airplane, and, and you're, you're questioned, well, sir, I'm sorry, this is just for the hockey players.
2: I'm just curious, Mike, hearing you talk about that, how much of a challenge was it then come 7, 7.30, to turn on the switch and, and focus on what you had to do? Or was it an escape at times? I don't know. But how, how were you able to try to separate the two and, and try your best to, to continue on as a professional as you had to?
10: Well... You, you do that. You try to continue on the best you can, and you try to bring the best performance every night. And, you know, when a team is losing the way we did the first season, certainly there starts to become a kind of bickering, a kind of, you know, it wasn't me, or why didn't you do this, or that sort of thing goes on, that the backbiting. And um, it's never personal, but I think that, you know, it's it, no one likes to lose. If you've gotten to that level of, of competition, in any sport, you don't like to lose. And uh, and so we were trying to figure out what we could do to make it better uh, and, and to put the team in, in better standing. But the, the first year was something else. <laughs> it really was tough near the end.
2: Were you in touch at the time when you were coming up or throughout your career with Willie O'Ree? Uh,
10: I was not. Willie was, um, at the time, the last time I spoke with Willie, he had just gotten his his job with the diversity people at the National Hockey League. But uh, no, we weren't in touch. Willie was playing, mind you. Mike Bloom, who was a center of mine for a while, Mike played with Willie when he was playing with San Diego. Hmm. I believe it was San Diego. Yeah, yeah.
2: What I'm getting at, Mike, is is at times with the challenges you were facing, you, you may have had the support of your teammates, but you were very much you were on your own.
10: I was on my own. I was on my own. I was on my own because I, I don't. I, I think a lot of the guys were from. Uh, the, the rural arrangements, the rural settings of society. And so in a lot of cases, I was the first person of color that they would have met. And so, you know, while many of them did step up and and take an interest in the fact that, hey, this guy's really got something else going on here. There's There seems to be, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of trouble over the fact that he's playing hockey. Um, and, uh, and that part was, was certainly helpful to have some kind of, Uh, leadership because i mean you're you're going into these places like like new york and chicago and la and atlanta had a team and uh and whatnot and you know you're right out of high school so (laughs) you're you're pretty much uh (laughs) you know open to the world to whatever's going on and and uh it's it uh, now i think it's different i think that there's a lot more mentoring that goes on uh uh, probably a lot less interest in in uh, the, the amount of money guys are making. They're all making so much now, you know. But back then it was uh, it was a little bit different. You know, Your, the struggle was an everyday, twenty four hour a day thing.
2: Who were some of the guys that did take you under their wings?
10: Well, there was there was Tom the Bomb Williams, who was just a stellar man. Uh, he had played with the Bruins and had been uh, you know he'd been picked up by Washington, and he was just a he would always take me aside and you know say different things, positive things. Uh, you know, we had, uh, let me think, Newsy Lalonde, Ronnie Lalonde, you know, him as, yep. you know, he was, he was very instrumental. Bernie Wolf was, was a great guy as far as, you know, understanding that my situation was slightly different than whatever everybody else was dealing with. You know, Ronnie Lowe, uh, of course, Jack Lynch, jumping Jack Lynch, they used to call him in junior. I remember going and watching him in junior and, uh, he was something else. Most of the guys, you know, it's, it's like, um, I think, looking back now as a 61-year-old, I I realize that uh, most people are like the mob type situation, as far as a group of people, you know. And in that, they are the the unruly group of people. um, As a mass, they are on the same line; they are on the same focus. But if you get them individually, Apart from the group, you find out that everybody's a very nice person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yep. Yep. But as a, you know, when everyone gets gets all stirred up and someone has a attitude, and yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it just develops into a whole different thing, and now you're into a, a, a whole other of kettle of fish. And but to, but to take each person aside and sit them down and you know have a coffee and and, and chew the fat, as they say, you really can be um, pleasantly surprised at what and how nice and how deep and how interesting uh, individuals can be.
2: And there was a portion of my conversation with Capitals alum Mike Marson on this, the 60th anniversary of Willie O'Ree, breaking the NHL's color barrier with the Boston Bruins in the late 1950s. And again, it was 14 years before the second black player made his NHL debut, and that would be Mike Marson, the Capitals' second-round pick ahead of their expansion season 1974-75 1974-75 campaign, and that a portion of our conversation, which was part of my book project, 100 Things Capitals Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Some interesting anecdotes in there from Mike Marson on the challenges he experienced. Some of the teammates heard him reference there who helped him along the way. And some of the challenges as a whole that that entire inaugural Washington Capitals team went through. They weren't exactly the Vegas Golden Knights back then. The expansion Capitals, the worst expansion team in NHL history. Winners of eight of their 80 games in their expansion season. As for the modern-day Washington Capitals, they are in New Jersey tonight to face the Devils. Again, the first game back after the five-day breather for the bye week. And the Capitals and Devils tonight coming up Just past 7 Eastern. The official start of Caps pregame at 645 with John Walton, Ken Sabrin, and myself. And until then, we have an encore presentation of this afternoon's edition of Caps Talk. Coming up right here, Caps Radio 24-7 and the Caps mobile app. Our thanks on the production side to Jake Hartsfield, Ben Raby here. Thank you for joining us on this afternoon's edition of Caps Talk.
0: Listening to Caps Talk on Caps Radio 24 7. Tune in every Monday through Friday at 4 Eastern to hear the players, coaches, media, and fans talk Caps hockey. Go Caps! Yes! And always taking your phone calls at 1 855 Go Caps 5 on your all capitals, all the time station, Caps Radio 24 7.